Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Fuel Better podcast. I am your host as always Evan Lynch and we're back with a bang today. We have an absolute belter of a topic coming up, one that I'm sure many of you are going to find very very useful. I've timed this purposely looking at the topic of managing hot climates for athletes as I have a number of clients who have just competed in CODA in the Ironman World 140.6 championships and I have some more clients who are going to be competing in Utah in the 70.3 Ironman world championships at the end of October both races have one thing in common heat Irish people I'm Irish I'm sitting here in Clonmel County Tipperary not very well accustomed to hot climates or conditions it's well known and well observed in the research base that Heat in general is a major performance uh, deterrent and it can take away from your ability to perform optimally or as you have trained. However, as always, there are ways and means around this. There are things we can do to help you as an athlete become more adept to hot climates. We can train you for that and there are nutritional tactics we can employ to make sure you manage the conditions as best possible. So if that sounds useful to you, strap in. And let's get on with the show. Before we dive fully into the content of today's episode, I would just like to make a couple of announcements. So number one, if you follow me on social media, you'll be aware that I am now starting my PhD. I'm three weeks in. The topic is looking at the health effects of underfueling in male endurance athletes. So that's that's going to be an ongoing process for the coming years. And I hope that it'll inform a lot of content for this podcast. And anyone out there who feels like they may be suffering from REDS, relative energy deficiency, low energy availability, or any of the myriad of side effects associated with that, please get in touch. I can really help you with that. It's it's a relatively simple thing to fix from a dietary perspective. So that's announcement number one. Announcement number two, I have just started putting content together for my Ironman nutrition course for athletes and coaches. So I know I've been talking about this for a very, very long time. I finally got started. I'm currently three chapters of content deep. And what I can tell you is this is a unique project okay i've seen a gap here there is a desire there amongst the ironman community for a resource that you can go to over and over and over that has just nutrition evidence-based guidelines everything you would need to know i'm endeavoring to make this a one-stop shop so keep an eye out on that if you have any you know bits and pieces of content you'd like to see please let me know 
I'm making my way through every topic I've ever covered with an Ironman athlete, all the way from our first time 70.3 candidates to some of our more elite in the eight hour um, finish time for your full Ironman type crew. So that's currently underway. Announcement number three, the team is expanding. So I've been working alongside Gary. He's my my UK-based dietitian for quite a while now, and there are clients getting on superbly well with him. If you are interested in weight loss or if you are interested in improving your food relationship or if you have something like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, etc., Gary is very, very well equipped to take care of you. So he's taken on clients all year round. You can get in touch, info at evanlynchfitnot.com to inquire about working with Gary. And last announcement, and I promise we will actually get into the content of today's episode. In the new year, I will have my two current master's students uh, who are joining the team in January. They will each be taking on clients so there'll be a more formal introduction but Avine is a sports nutritionist and she specializes in endurance athletes so myself and Avine are going to be splitting the endurance athlete load come January so Avine has some different insights she has a different sporting background to me so that'll be an interesting dynamic and then we have Dylan he is the other addition to our team Dylan is currently doing his master's degree in clinical nutrition and Dylan's role in the group here will be to manage an upcoming weight management program. So this is something I intend to launch ideally in January, but the idea is weight loss is difficult, typical methods don't tend to work. So we're putting together a weight management program that will have master's students studying clinical nutrition and dietitians with input there will also be a degree of psychology input from a counselor involved in it and generally speaking we're trying to see if we can create a supportive environment to help people lose weight who might be struggling so that's non-sports but something to keep an eye out for basically guys lots of stuff happening here okay plugging done let's get into the topic today Okay, so hot climates, we've all raced in them before, we've all experienced them, we've had to walk around on a very hot day and feel uncomfortable. That feeling of being uncomfortable is called thermal strain. So it it comes from more or less your your body has built-in safety mechanisms whereby Keeping your core temperature very stable is actually very, very important to make sure your brain doesn't literally fry itself. A lot of enzymatic processes occur in certain temperature ranges. If you get too hot, basically, you start to get damaged on the inside. And worst case scenario, you get heat stroke or heat, very severe heat stress, which can be a medical emergency. Um heat strain heat stress can kill people i for example in the marathon des sables that's a couple of marathons back to back across the sahara desert people are known to just drop dead from cardiac arrest now that happens in 
a lot of sporting contexts you cannot solely blame heat for that but it is a huge stressor nonetheless so that that feeling of thermal stress it is a physiological reflection of you not managing the conditions very very well so if you're heat adapted and you're very fit the heat might not necessarily bother you that much you might be fine with it but that that feeling we're going to come back to that feeling a couple of times during this episode um because it's really really important you can assume that if you're feeling hot if you're noticing the heat is bothering you from an exercise perspective your body is already putting on the brakes or you're already performing at a sub-optimal level. So just bear that in mind. The brass tacks, and just to spell it out, if you're experiencing thermal strain, your body is working way harder to achieve the same work output. And you feel this, you probably notice to a certain degree. But the general overview, as your core temperature heats up and the kinetic energy released from exercise dramatically contributes to this. So does dehydration with every 1% dehydration resulting in about a quarter of a degree rising your core temperature. Bearing in mind that we kind of want to be around the 37 mark and being around 39, 40 is considered um, fever. That's, That's where it gets a little bit dangerous when you get to the high 30s, low 40s. So kinetic energy, dehydration, both factors here if it is already hot it is particularly difficult for you to maintain that core temperature um and it's here where your body starts to put the brake on as you start to get hotter there's a biological mechanism in play where you have a decrease in central drive and the rate of perceived exertion so how hard exercise feels central drive refers to how much you are physically capable of pushing yourself those start to kick in and your work rate decreases the work you're doing feels much much harder for every one percent dehydration the rate of perceived exertion goes up by approximately 10 percent so you're you're working 10 percent harder the more dehydrated or the hotter you get every quarter of a degree you could maybe maybe cross-check those two things interestingly your body starts to use an awful lot more glycogen at any given intensity when you start to heat up partly because your heart rate increases so with with dehydration or with your body getting hotter dehydration is likely occurring simultaneously you see a decrease in how much blood you can pump around your body your blood itself is a little bit thicker And this has a huge, huge, huge impact on the the relative intensity you're working at. So relatively speaking, if you're hot or heat stressed, five minute kilometers running feels like four minute kilometers running. Just for reference, that's that's not an exact, but I'm just trying to illustrate the point I'm trying to make here. So as, as a result you start to really heavily rely on carbohydrates so the the higher the intensity or the perceived intensity or you know the the less the less effectively or efficiently you can move yourself forward you end up relying on your glycogen stores 
and that runs out pretty quick in the context of an Ironman or a half Ironman or even just a marathon or if you're a half marathoner you have enough glycogen in your body to last around 100 minutes of steady state steady state being the key word here but it is well known that at least 10,000 meter runners can dump their whole glycogen stores within a race so your glycogen lasts depending on the intensity as you get hotter you burn through more of it you're much more likely to hit the wall you're much more likely to feel terrible and as you get thermally stressed and dehydrated your body diverts a lot of blood flow to the surface of your skin to help keep you cool we have got very well built in cooling mechanisms that blood flow redirection you get that kind of um, blush skin color and also sweating those are how we keep chill but if we have major blood flow redirection there our gut is losing a lot of its blood supply ergo it's losing a lot of its function so it's well well acknowledged that hot climates poor hydration tactics overheating can all have a significantly exacerbating effect on your risk of gut issues it's much more likely to become an issue in a hot race if especially if you're not adapted for it or if you're not able to manage from a nutritional perspective or you have no cooling tactics in place so that's that's probably something that is important to bear in mind the hotter we get the worse we perform okay so what can we what can we actually do about that so if you're racing in utah or you've just raced in kona or like some of my clients you're actually preparing for marathon de sables or you're an elite athlete and you know you're going to be competing in a hot climate next year or in the coming weeks how can you prepare yourself in advance to beat the heat there's actually quite a lot we can do so the first thing i'm going to talk about is tactics you can employ on a week-to-week basis that will really enhance heat adaptive responses and these are more so passive methods what what i mean by that is you don't necessarily have to move to a heat camp uh, you don't have to relocate yourself you don't have to pick the hottest time of the day to train there is two two ways we can go about this they're both very very simple number one is sauna usage after a workout so this can be particularly effective and the research has shown that if you can build in sauna usage a couple of times a week after you exercise you can get not only huge increases in testosterone and human growth hormone which is very very helpful from a recovery and adaptive perspective but it can also start to build in the process of developing heat tolerance so that's that's particularly useful so we build in that psychological side of it the ability to tolerate or withstand hot climates and a position statement on heat adaptation by the australian sports dietitians um, they acknowledge that frequent sauna usage after exercise can lower your resting heart rate and it can lower your systolic blood pressure so those are both common side effects of let's say moving to a heat camp for a couple of weeks you see those adaptive responses kick in and this is just from jumping into a sauna after a workout 
So it starts to build in some of those um, heat adaptive responses. Notably, it didn't notice any change in the resting temperature of your skin, which very, very interestingly is one of the side effects of moving and doing a heat camp or full heat adaption training. And we'll come back to what exactly that constitutes a little bit later on. So that's sauna usage. That's my favorite way of doing it. Saunas also have a lot of mental health benefits, by the way, uh, particularly in winter, particularly if you include infrared light, but that's not really in the scope of today's conversation. The other method used is thermal layering. It's just a very fancy word for wearing more clothes uh, when you exercise. So this is something that I have been part of over the summer had some athletes competing in the European Championships in the marathon and to prepare for the heat in Munich we did some thermal layering it was really interesting to to see how this was employed two or three sessions a week wearing two or three layers including running tights peak summer by the way so it's high 20s you accept a reduction in performance initially for the heat adaptive response so as I talked about earlier, if you're not accustomed or adapted to the heat, that thermal strain and that difficulty in maintaining core temperature will drop performance. This was done in this athlete and it's commonly used tactic to help elicit that heat response and it worked very, very well. This athlete I'm referring to on the day had a reasonably good run in Munich. Climate minimally affected um, the athlete as much as is possible. So those are two passive ways. If you do not have the luxury of relocating, but you know you have a hot race, you can employ these a multitude of times during the week um, and it should be relatively easy to do that. There is also a research referenced in the same paper to suggest that you can use 12 to 15 heat exposure sessions. So that's either doing a long enough session up to 90 minutes with thermal layering or using a sauna for up to 30 minutes after an aerobic workout you do that in the space of less than three weeks and that has been shown to elicit a, just a shade of over seven percent increase in plasma volume and in in the cohort studied it showed a 1.9 percent improvement in 5k time trial so that's, that's actually very, very useful. And what was recommended is that you use it as a tapering tool. So as you come close to a race, the three weeks out, the plan will be to get a total cumulative amount of 12 to 15 sauna sessions or a thermal layering sessions to get that benefit. And we can only assume you get the resting heart rate and blood pressure benefits as well as the psychological ones. But plasma volume, to explain why that's helpful um, for endurance athletes in particular, think of it like when we do carbohydrate loading, which is in another episode, by the way. Um, but when we do carbohydrate loading, we increase our body's glycogen stores or how we store carbs above what is physically normal or what we would normally have. And that, that helps us perform more because we have more, literally more fuel in the tank. If we can do things that manipulate the plasma volume in our body, we have, literally speaking, 
more margins to sweat. So a 7% increase in plasma volume. The, the average person has around 15 liters of blood. So some of which is plasma. 7% improvement here. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here could be the bones of a liter. So if we're looking at dehydration being an impact, we want to keep your fluid losses to less than 2% of your body weight, which is pretty hard to do if you're doing marathon running, ultras, trail running, if you're, a, if you're a cyclist, if you're doing stage racing, if you're an Ironman athlete. If you have up to a litre of additional sweat and fluids that you can lose, that can buy you up to an hour, an hour and a half where you can perform in the green before you start getting into trouble. So that's exceptionally useful, actually. So that's that's how we can work that into our normal routine without having to emigrate to the Sierra Nevada mountain range or to Iten, Kenya, because that's just not feasible for most people. However, if you have the luxury of heading over to a hot climate or continually hot climate, one to two weeks prior to a key race so you have a heat camp or for example i know some of the athletes in kona did head over about 10 days prior you can take advantage of some heat adaptive responses the good news is as well the fitter you are the quicker you adapt to these things highly trained athletes tend to be a little bit more um, pliable to external stimuli generally speaking heat adaptation fully kicks in within 7 to 14 days this can be quicker for for a lot of people within 7 to 14 days you will see a first of all a drop in your heart rate at any given intensity so if you've been doing the saunas and the thermal layering you should already see some improvement in heart rate at any given pace and how hard that feels and then at around 10 days you see an improvement in your thermoregulatory capacity. So what do we mean by this? Paradoxically, this is the opposite to what people think, but an improvement in your ter- thermo, excuse me, in your thermoregulatory capacity means you actually sweat much more and much quicker. So fitter people will actually start to sweat quicker because it's more beneficial to do that as it prevents us heating up. That's the key thing here. A lot of people think of uh, heat adaptation or ability to tolerate heat as a function of how much and how early onset their sweating is. That's not at all the case. Heat adapted athletes 
the, the key tenants are you sweat earlier and quicker, your heart rate is lower, and your core temperature and skin temperature will be lower. Those are our kind of three classic hallmarks. That's when you can rubber stamp it and say, yeah, I am now heat adapted. So that's that's how you do that. And obviously, that has impactful benefits on performance. If your heart rate is lower at a given intensity, if your capacity to keep that core temperature steady is um, much, much easier or you, you're much better at doing that, that's beneficial. Some other very interesting side effects of heat adaptation include a lower resting metabolic rate so it's easier for you to meet your energy demands you have approximately 80 to 90 percent less electrolyte losses so the reason for this your body becomes very very efficient at increasing sweat rate but from a homeostatic perspective we don't really want to lose sodium when our sodium levels drop we're in big trouble. So that's that's not something we want at all. Hyponatremia can be actually pretty dangerous and fatal at times, it can cause comas. So a hallmark of a heat-adapted athlete is in the layers of your skin before you excrete sweat, if you're heat-adapted, you actually absorb a lot of the sodium. So I think I, I read a paper there and the sweat sodium losses of an athlete before and after heat adaption there was like 90 80 90 percent of a difference it was insane so the idea that because it's hot that you should be cranking in high dose electrolyte tablets is not necessarily the case and it also drags into question the validity of sweat testing so if you do let's say three weeks out from your key race, if you do a sweat test, you check your sweat rate, you check your sweat sodium content. If you're using heat adaptive tactics or you do a heat camp, whatever your results are are completely irrelevant because it'll it'll change and it's very it's very different. Those things are highly plastic. And what's more, it's really important to be aware that heat adaption only remains when you are constantly exposed to the stimuli so if you stop doing sauna usage thermal layering if you leave the hot environment within a week you've lost 25 percent of that adaptive response within three weeks you've lost 75 percent of that adaptive response so you lose about quarter of it a week within a month it's, it's mostly gone however this is important and it's it's useful for you to know that if you re-engage with heat adaptive tactics within that three-week period after you've become adapted, you'll get it back much, much quicker. So you can you can get it back very, very quickly. It's recoverable to a very high degree, particularly if you are fitter. So that can help you maybe time your season or time these tactics and maybe a heat camp if you can sneak it in that would be well worth doing and for those of you who are lucky enough to be able to to go and do heat camps or do all of these things i'm talking about or indeed if there's a hot work studio near you belt away the um the kind of magnitude that you're looking for is about 90 minutes of daily exposure for maximum results 
So that's that's typically what you look for when you're on a heat camp. You build up to approximately a hundred minutes of steady state exercise when you're in a heat camp. The idea being you you need to actually be stressing yourself. So you need to get that that feeling, that unpleasant feeling that I talked about at the start of this episode. If you're not getting that, you're not actually getting enough of a response to to warrant anything adaptive in nature. And just a general disclaimer here, it would be pretty important not to put yourself at risk. So when we talk about this kind of stuff, generally what we say is you try and make yourself comfortably uncomfortable. So I hope that makes sense. Don't push yourself to the point where you feel faint or sick or dizzy. That would be a silly idea. You you push yourself to within discomfort levels that you are comfortable with. So be safe with this. Being irresponsible here can be pretty detrimental to your health. There's parallels in the combat sport world where athletes will use heat exposure, thermal layering, saunas to really induce sweating and the the end goal is making a weight but there are cases where athletes go into renal failure and sometimes cardiac arrest and death secondary to these really extreme um tactics so this can be dangerous you need to make sure you're well hydrated when you're doing this so drinking adequately drinking to thirst making sure your baseline fluid requirements are met is really really key here or it's going to be unhelpful and might just land you in hospital anyways side tangent over there just to come back to it i'd mentioned sodium levels so i just want to touch on this one more time if you become heat adapted you require much less sodium to keep your sodium levels steady there is new research on this. It was generally thought that the bigger your sweat losses, the more electrolytes you require, because I suppose it's a simplistic reduction. I was definitely in that field of thought. Recent research suggests otherwise. If you are an endurance athlete and you can't meet 70% of your fluid requirements, if you're a half Ironman runner and you're coming in in around four hours or less, you can probably get away with an isotonic or replacing around 30 to 40 percent of your requirements that will be just fine if you are an ironman runner so you'll be on your feet for longer the absolute sweat losses will be longer and you're a bit of a heavy sweater you probably need to be replacing about 50 to 65 percent of those sodium losses so for most people you're talking about 500 milligrams or less in in your you know intra-race tactics on an hourly basis there are obviously exceptions to this but that's again outside the scope of today's talk okay so that's sodium that's heat adaptation that's sauna uses that's thermal layering let's say you get to the day you've done all you can it's still blisteringly hot and you still want to perform as best possible. So what can you do? If you're still worried about your sweat rate, you can build in a hyperhydration tactic. So there's two ways you can go about this and both of these tactics will help you pack on about six to 700 mils of extra fluid into your body. So again, it's like the 
fluid version of carbohydrate loading. So you can go for a bolus of fluids that's about 25 times your weight. So I'm 80 kilos, so that's approximately say two liters on the dot. I'd need to consume two liters of fluid with either my weight in glycerol monosterate, so that'd be 80 grams of glycerol monosterate, or seven grams of table salt. So I'm probably going to go to seven grams of table salt because that's a little bit easier and it's less logistically taxing. And you would sip that beverage. I tend to put carbs in it as well because you need the carbs pre-race. You would sip that beverage over the two-hour period before you go. If you want bonus points, you can also work in ice slurries. So not... um, I don't know there are I know there are a lot of international listeners on, on this podcast but um slurry in Ireland means um cow manure that farmers use to fertilize their farms I'm not talking about an iced version of that the scientific research referred to this as an ice slurry basically what it is is blitzing up ice and the equivalent of a sports drink to make something like a slushy or a slush puppy i'm not sure how how um common or ubiquitous those are worldwide but an iced drink basically is is what that refers to usually made in a blender so iced slurries are what we would look to do and these are very very helpful at reducing core temperatures because ice has a massive heat transfer capacity so the amount of heat it takes to actually melt ice and then to heat up the water from that ice is significantly bigger than the amount of heat that it takes from our body to just uh, heat up a chilled sports drink. So ice slurries are very, very helpful. They can prevent or delay how long it takes for your core temperature to rise. And the, the protocol that I've seen in research is looking at a bolus of iced slurry that's 14 times your weight so for me that's approximately 1120 mils if i've gotten my math correct 80 by 14 i think that's 1120 and i would split that into two doses that i would consume around 30 and 60 minutes before the race goes so you can merge the two and you can break your hyperhydration drink into four separate segments, two of which can have ice mixed into them. I hope that makes sense. Otherwise, apart from what you can actually ingest, you're really looking at external cooling tactics. So ice vests tend to be very helpful as well, and you can wear them while you warm up. Um, they can just keep the surface of your skin cool. So that's pretty helpful. And pro tip, if you don't have an ice vest, but you're in a hotel or you're at kind of an an Airbnb type thing, you can take advantage of something called an arteriovenous astomosi. There are three points in your bodies where you have them. Basically, it's where an artery meets a capillary, the palms of your feet, the palms of your hands and your forehead. So what I'm suggesting here is If you can get a little cling filling bag and put crushed ice in it and maybe wrap that in one or two layers of kitchen paper and just hold it. You don't want direct ice in your hands because if it's too cold, it'll constrict blood flow. But having that in your hand is a very effective way to have 
a little bit of cooling it'll be the most effective point in your body to induce cooling unless you have the ability to i don't know duct tape an ice pack to your forehead but that obviously comes with some logistical challenges when you go to remove the ice pack so the, the cling film bags work very well for people and it's an easy one to do some things i have seen athletes do it's not always logistically possible and sometimes the bottles are melted but if you have the organizational wherewithal to make your bottles the night before and put them in a freezer and in the morning of the event when you go to transition area if you're a triathlete or if you're a cyclist putting iced bottles on your bike or having them in a cooler that can be very very helpful i'm i'm kind of going to keep defaulting to triathlon nutrition here because it i've made this with athletes doing kona and utah in mind but if you put your your desired drink in the freezer that you're going to have during your race if possible that will be very very helpful for during the race so the cooler your liquids are the more of an impact they have on your core temperature which again that is the key variable we're trying to influence here is can we reduce that core temperature that's what we're always trying to get at so apart from that guys those cooling tactics and the heat adaption that puts you in the best position for a good race in hot climates then it's down to how well you fuel and how well you hydrate and that's another episode there is an episode on nutrition tactics for Ironman race day or for marathon race days a lot of the guidelines in that are directly reproducible for ultra running long distance cycling etc it's about meeting your fluid requirements doing a good job there really getting the carb intake nice and high and if you really want to pull something out of the bag you can get yourself menthol flavored gum menthol gum like your Wrigley's or your Airwaves or Mentos, it has a perceptual effect whereby the menthol has a localized cooling effect on your mouth and it more or less tricks your body into thinking you're not as hot as you are. So that central drive, that thermal stress actually is reduced a little bit, which is really interesting and useful. Word of caution with this, because it's a perceptual effect, it kind of unlocks your ability to push yourself it might mean that you can exercise yourself into heat stroke, but if you're gunning for a performance on race day and you wanted another little tool in your kit, this is one that you could look to employ, particularly if you're struggling to get to the finish line and you're adamant that you're going to do so. That's a, an easy one to implement. Okay, that's today's episode. I hope it was worth the wait. I will try, I know I said it every time, I will try to release more content. It is my plan to do so um, on a more consistent basis. I've gotten great feedback from this podcast. I appreciate people who listen. If you could, if you do enjoy the podcast and you find it useful, what would be very helpful for me, and I would implore you to do this, if you can leave me a review on Spotify, so it, it's at the top of the podcast under the bio when you click into the fuel better podcast you can leave me a review if you think it's worth it if you think it's a five star show or a four star show just let me know the more ratings i get the more exposure the podcast gets 
the bigger the podcast gets the more time i can give to it and ultimately my goal is to put evidence-based nutrition advice into the hands of athletes particularly endurance athletes of all descriptions and abilities so that's that's my goal here so you can help me with that goal if if you leave a review much appreciated i'm not going to keep going on about it until next time i hope you enjoyed the show catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started <laughs> 